0: Down with the sound called BDP If you want to join a crew or well, you must see me You can't sound like Shannon or the one Marley, Marley Cause Shannon Marley Marley, my rhyming like the gay uh. Picking up the mic, my them don't know what to say uh. Saying hip hop started out in Queensbridge uh. Saying lies like that, man, you know them countless So tell them again, me come to tell them again Tell them again, me come to tell them again Gua. Tell them again, me come to tell them again Gua. Tell them again, me come to tell them Manhattan keeps on making it, Brooklyn keeps on taking it, Bronx keeps creating it, and Queens keeps on faking it.
1: Good afternoon, welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this on Saturday, August the 12th, 2023. You're listening to it for the first time on Sunday, August the 13th, and the rebroadcast will air on Monday, August the 14th. My name is Jasmine. I'm here with my co-host, Reese. What's up, Reese?
2: Hey, hey, what's up? Welcome back hey. to the party.
1: Hey, yeah. It's good to, good to. I was going to say see you again, but we never see other. <laughs> good to hear from you again.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a, a time, but I appreciate that uh, all of our other contributors was able to hop in and kept the show going. So good to be back.
1: Right, and um, when we played our intro, it wasn't our usual intro, that was Boogie Down Productions with The Bridges Over uh, in recognition of the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. We'll be talking a a little bit about that later on in the show. Uh, But for our news stories, for the local news, I'll be talking about David Simon, uh, the writer known for The Wire, complaining about uh, some traffic tickets he got in New York City. For national news, we'll talk about six Mississippi police officers who plead guilty for torturing up two black men. For world news, we'll be discussing um, controversial comments that the president of Mexico made about he himself being the victim of gender-based violence or gender violence. And as I mentioned before, we'll be discussing a little bit about the anniversary of hip-hop Uh, being celebrated around the country this weekend. Uh, So to get started, I'm going to begin with the local news story. It was kind of funny, not funny, considering, you know, how it came up. But um, there were some jokey things about it. But at the end, it it is still a serious issue, like with traffic deaths and things like that. Uh, So this information comes from Streets Blog NYC, and it was written by Jonah Schwartz. The title is Wire Creator and NYC camera foe David Simon has received 16 school zone speeding tickets in his beloved Baltimore. There's a tired old joke that those who can't teach, but David Simon's record of recidivist reckless driving suggests that those who write about crime commit them to. The celebrated creator of the hit show, The Wire, has picked up 16 school zone camera tickets, many of them during the summer in his hometown of Baltimore, despite spending most of Wednesday rage-tweeting that only an off-brand city would operate school zone speed cameras during the summer. Simon's hours-long social media tirade came after he was ticketed in New York for, he said, driving 36 miles per hour in a 25 miles per hour street at 5.40 a.m., quote, in total darkness on a morning in, wait for it, mid-July, unquote, later clarifying that he was outraged because he received the school zone ticket on a day when schools were out of session. Public records show he got the ticket while driving westbound on Delancey Street at Eldridge Street on the Lower East Side. His 2015 Lexus SUV picked up eight school zone speeding tickets in Charm City, meaning Baltimore, during a three-month period in 2021, part of a reign of terror that has included 16 speed camera violations, plus one highway speeding ticket, six tickets for ignoring stop signs, and three tickets for impeding movement of pedestrians. 10 of the school zone tickets were in summer, so Simon has received school zone tickets in Baltimore when school is not in session. So contrary to what he was complaining about that did not just happen to him in New York, he's done it many times in Baltimore. Simon's total record of high crimes and misdemeanors or summonses actually is more than 96 tickets with 81 coming in Baltimore. Uh, And this is an aside, it was unclear to me from the article if that large number of tickets was just for the one license plate for this one luxury car, or if this was total uh, for several cars, but either way, that's a lot. New York City speed cameras are placed in designated school zones, but have operated 24-7 since last year. In Baltimore, camera enforcement is limited to the hours of 6 a.m. and 8 p.m meaning that no one will know of instances when Simon's Lexus was speeding, but not caught on camera. Speeding is deadly and the chances of being killed by a driver increase with driver speed. Speed was a reported factor in nearly one third of deadly crashes in the US in 2021, according to the Federal Highway Administration. In other tweets, Simon mocks the need for a speed camera on six-lane Delancey Street, but the roadway is exactly where traffic enforcement is needed. So far this year, there have been 122 reported crashes on Delancey between Bowery and the Williamsburg Bridge, injuring 59 people, including 13 cyclists and 15 pedestrians, according to Crash Mapper. Four pedestrians and one cyclist have died on the corridor since 2011. New York City speed cameras previously only operated from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. In 2021, some 30% of the city's non-highway traffic fatalities took place in designated school zones, but at times when tickets could not be issued. Contrary to Simon's argument that the cameras are a quote-unquote cash cow, The program should make less money over time as drivers choose not to speed to avoid paying the fine. Just 20% of violators commit a second offense according to the City Department of Transportation. The number of speed camera tickets dropped last winter following an uptick after officials expanded the hours enforcement devices could operate. Of course, some drivers can afford to pay an infinite number of tickets. The city's dangerous vehicle abatement program aims to force drivers with the most violations to either take a safety course or have their vehicle impounded. Simon's streak of dangerous driving in 2021 would have easily qualified him for the vehicle seizure program had the violations been committed in New York. Streets Blog reached out to Simon via Twitter, but the writer then blocked us from seeing his tweets. He did not respond. Uh, and just this is some side information just about general um, traffic issues in the city. Uh, this is from City Limits. Vision Zero is an initiative to end traffic deaths and serious injuries launched in 2014. Since 2014, however, over 100 children have died in traffic incidents. Uh, an NBC New York reports 51 people were killed in traffic crashes during just the first 3 months of the year of 2023 according to new numbers released by transportation alternatives that number of deaths represents an 11% increase over the same time period in 2022 so yeah, you know, he was talking cash shit on Twitter about calling New York off brand and all of this. It's like, sir, why are you speeding in a school zone in practically the middle of the night.
2: Right? And in the same context, like first of all, nobody should ever call New York City off brand. <laughs> like, he ain't really. hello. I mean, are we are, is he serious? Like, whatever. Yeah. I just took his stock down like so much. Um But in the same context, like, you know, rules like this are made to prevent deaths, to prevent people from being reckless, to make people more conscious. I think especially like right now in New York with, you know, the marijuana laws and things like that, people are just really kind of zooted majority of the time for those who partake. And I think, you know, laws like these are things when it comes to traffic, when it comes to driving. Like it's really dangerous, you know. I've been driving since I was nineteen, but it took me to I was nineteen because one of my best friends was killed in a car accident when we were sixteen. So it's one of those oh, I'm sorry things.
1: already hear that.
2: Yeah, man, it really was very hard for me to get behind the wheel and confidently, and even to this day, I'm a very cautious driver. I don't care if y'all call me an old lady. Just know I'm always going to take the streetway, as my as my stepfather would say, the scenic route to avoid being in a stressful and aggressive situation. You know, the human uh, attention span today is way worse than it was when we was growing up. And so, you know, he's out of pocket. Someone with this many uh, charges, I think, should have to face some other consequences anyway. Um, The fact that they've happened in different states are are probably why he hasn't really had any major convictions, but he's definitely somebody that I, I would be a little nervous to just be out in these streets and these spaces where there may be children walking or just people and any time of the day or night.
1: Yeah. Cause he's talking about we're off brand city, like we're the city that never sleeps. And we have that name for a reason. Like no matter what time of the day or night, somebody is out. And, you know, people, you know, I'm I'm not out very late often these days, but, you know, you're assuming because it's late or it's dark that people won't be driving fast, you know, so anyone could step out, a child could be out playing, like, there is summer school. You don't know, like, and it just, the sense of entitlement for him to be complaining like this for hours and hours over a $50 ticket. It's like, if you don't like getting the tickets, stop breaking the law. Simple. You know, and it's it's the nerve of some people and that attitude adds up and it does add up in a way that other people have to pay for in the form of being injured or killed by reckless, careless drivers. You know, that number of offenses is ridiculous.
2: Right. There's a bunch of laws that are some bullshit. Right. I mean, we talk about that often. There's a bunch of laws and the whole system of justice in this country is questionable at the least. But when it comes to things like traffic and safety, they're there for a reason. They're normally based off statistics from the area. So it is actually calculated information. Um, So those are the ones that I feel like are the most important. And, you know, there can be an adjustment. But when it comes to something like that, especially because they're creating more roadways, there are more cars on the road today than ever before. You know, they're making these five, six lane streets that used to only occur on the highway. We have to be mindful of that, and all of us drivers and pedestrians have to adjust. So if this dude don't want to roll by the rules, then he need to pay and get himself a driver who will.
1: I know. The, The Wire. Did you ever watch The Wire? I did. I did watch The Wire. It was a good show. Yeah, it was a good show, but I'm like, come on, man, give me a break. You know there's people on that show the corrupt cops or whatever it's like nobody should be above the law when it comes to these laws that are literally about saving lives and preventing grievous injury so he should be it was like what was the thought process my brother like <laughs> you know and he's also a former journalist all of that like he should know better than this mess you gotta keep right. the devil down in the hole well let's keep David down in Baltimore and he can keep running all the <laughs> top like as he wants you know because i think it was a good point they brought up that he was complaining about the time and it's like okay so this is how many violations you have that you got caught doing how often okay. are you doing this when the cameras aren't on okay you know would it be a thousand violations like come on now
2: yeah he's definitely racking it up and they gonna take his vehicle it's gonna happen so he can keep it talking crazy if you want to keep talking about two. they gonna find your ass mm-hmm.
1: Well, in the right. in the immortal words of Marlo Hampton you want it to be one way but it's the other way <laughs> oh, you word. want it to be one way but it's the other way and the New York way is this is a pedestrian heavy city right. and you need to be careful with how you drive period you besides know? you
2: ain't going nowhere fast bruh you ain't going nowhere
1: fast chill man please Why don't you take the subway? Be a real man of the people. How about that? Hey, hi. For real. Yeah. So on that note, um, we are going to move on to our first musical break. You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And, you know, because we're celebrating 50 years of hip hop in August, we're going to be playing all hip hop all month. Um, In this episode, we're going to focus on some older tracks so this is brooklyn's own mc light with paper thin we'll be right back
3: Say you love me, it doesn't matter, it goes into my head as just chit chatter. You may think it's egotistical or just very free, but what you say, I take none of it seriously. And even if I did, I wouldn't tell you so. I'd let you pretend to read me, and then you'd know. Cause I hate when one attempts to analyze fact. I despise those who even try to look into my eyes to see what I am thinking. That dream is over, y'all is sinking. I tell all of you, like I told all of them, what you say to me is just paper thin. lover. I don't pay attention, I don't concentrate. You ain't got the bait that it takes to hook this. Ha, 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 ha. Sucker, you missed. I put feelings aside. I know who I am. My name is Light. Is your name Sam? Cause if it is, step off. Grab your coat and get lost. Wrap your around your throat and go back and catch the boat and hit the road, Sam. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Sam. Don't you come back no more. So now I take precaution when choosing my mate. I do not touch until the third of or the fifth or sixth time that we meet. Because a day without a kiss is so incomplete and didn't make me. I let you play with my feet. You can suck the big toe and play with the middle. It's so simple, unlike a riddle. It's as easy as counting a one, two, three. In other terms, letters L Y T E. I'll tell you, 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 and all of you in the back and in the middle and the front. Yo, that's it. hey for thin. Word up. So, like, check it out. Yo, like, fixing dedication.
2: Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org donate.
1: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Reese with our national news story.
2: All right, so trigger warning, y'all. This story um, gives the details of this horrific event um, that happened. It is drawn from the Washington Post. The title of the article is White Mississippi Ex-Officers Plead Guilty to Torturing Two Black Men. And the author is... Nia Masai. Six former Mississippi law enforcement officers pleaded guilty on Thursday to multiple counts of civil rights violations for a January raid in Rankin County during which they tortured and physically abused two black men, the Justice Department said. The officers, who are white, admitted to entering a home in Braxton, Mississippi without a warrant and carrying out an array of traumatizing and horrific acts of violence on the two men federal prosecutors stated. The men were handcuffed and arrested without probable cause, punched, verbally abused, with racist slurs, and tasered more than a dozen times. The officers threw eggs at the men, held them down while pouring milk and alcohol over their faces, and assaulted one of the victims with a sword. One officer carried a mock execution by inserting a gun into the mouth of one man, according to the indictment. When the firearm discharged, it broke his jaw. The defendants in this case tortured and inflicted unspeakable harm on their victims egregiously violated the civil rights of citizens who they were supposed to protect, and shamefully betrayed the oath they swore as law enforcement officers, Attorney General Merrick Garland said in a statement. The case had sparked outrage over police brutality against black men, prompting a federal state investigation. In June, Michael Jenkins and Eddie Parker sued some Rankin County officers over the sadistic torture session. Jenkins was hospitalized for a month after the assault, from which he suffered permanent nerve damage and numbness on one side of his face, the lawsuit said. His demeanor transformed, his mother Mary previously told the Washington Post, describing her once outgoing son as skittish and subdued. The defendants included five former members of the Rankin County Sheriff's Office, Chief Investigator Brett Brett McAlpin, Narcotics Investigator Christian Dedman, Lieutenant Jeffrey Middleton, Deputy Hunter Elward, and Deputy Daniel Opdyke. The sixth officer is a former member of the Richland Police Department, Narcotics Investigator Joshua Hartfield. According to the indictment, the January 24th indictment stemmed from a complaint of sus- suspicious behavior at the property by a white neighbor of McAlpin, one of, the, one of the police officers. Jenkins and Parker were residing in the property at the time. Deadman, the former narcotics investigator, was tasked by McAlpin to take care of the complaint. Dedman then approached officers Middleton, Edward, and Obdite, part of a self-anointed goon squad, so-called because of their willingness to use excessive force court documents say. After handcuffing and shocking the men with tasers, Deadman asks Parker about drugs, the prosecutor's charge. The officers also told the men to go to areas where the concentration of black residents was higher, the court document says. The defendants later concocted a cover story including falsely charging Jenkins with drug possession, planting evidence and destroying surveillance footage. The former officers are charged with felonies, including civil rights conspiracy, deprivation of rights under color of law, and obstruction of justice, which carry varying sentences of between 10 and 20 years in prison. Two face charges of discharging a firearm during a crime of violence, which could carry a life sentence. The sentencing is scheduled for November, the Associated Press reported. The defendants will also face charges led by the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. So there's more to the story, just talking about the officers themselves and the pleads that they had. But this is, um, a really sad case of just all the obvious, but also, you know, the way this article described it, you can see how everything led up to the moment when they tortured these two guys and the fact that they live to tell about it um' is crazy i mean and and obviously will never have their lives back the way they once were,
1: yeah i mean i I don't wanna say that it's numbing, but I feel like there's so many of these things that are happening all the time, and what makes it to the news is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, and just listening to the description of what happened, it's it's just, it makes me so angry and disgusted.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, f- I think about the trauma that they will always remember, you know, even that comment from one of their mother just about how his whole demeanor has changed because of this that he's been through. Um, these men's lives will never be the same, nor their family members or anyone who cares and loves for them. And also other people in this community You know, this was a call from one of the cops' neighbor. So it wasn't even that these men did anything to be in this position. They went up in their house without any warrants, any warning, um, and literally lived out their torture dreams on these two black men. It's, It's really sad, the level of detail that was put in this article about how they did this. I'm sure this has happened to many other people, unfortunately, but I just, you know, my heart goes out to them. Uh, in their healing that they even lived you know to tell about this because this is just awful i hope they get every single thing thrown at them and that they are under the jail when they dealt with this shit
1: yeah and like looking back at the article like i the complaint was about quote-unquote suspicious behavior it's like what the hell does that mean it could just be existing as a black person You know, and these people jump at the opportunity to, like you said, it's like a fantasy for them to just brutalize black people. And I know this isn't the only time they've done it, especially at their big ages. They've been working in the police force or let me not say working because, frankly, I do not consider it a real job. Um, It's uh, I would say more on that, but let me rein it in. They've been in these positions of authority to be brutalizing citizens or people in the community for years and years. So how many other people have they done things like this to and made and lied on and messed with evidence and all of this?
2: I am glad that these, you know, it's interesting they're pleading guilty, but they obviously cannot um, not plead guilty um, to what's happening here. I would be interested in hearing the backstory, how they even got to the plea um and how the story was found out but you know it's very hard to do stories like this and you know I definitely choose story about black people in the diaspora um because we have to continue to raise concern you know so many people are sleeping right now so many people are concerned with the wrong things and these things are happening you know everywhere still we can never stop making noise about police brutality to black people we can never not make it as important. Every single one of these stories are important. And luckily, these, these two guys are not hashtags, but they damn near should be because this shit is ridiculous. And it's it happens all the time. You know, they live to tell about it. Somebody got the story out. But at least let's, you know, rally around them, send love, send support to them and their families because this is so tragic. They'll never be the same.
1: Right. Absolutely. And, um, I'm reading a book right now called, um, bring the war home by Catherine Bellew. I may have mentioned it on a previous show, but it's specifically about the how the Vietnam war and the legacy of, uh, white veterans coming back after that, how it's, um, cross-pollinated with the white power movement or movements in this country. And I just got to the chapter that's talking about the militarization of the police in the United States. And I bring it up to say this, it's like a lot, I understand that these men, if they're found, you know, like if when they're sentenced, who knows how long they're going to be in prison for, but it's disturbing how much of this, um, networking and stuff with this white power violence happens within the prisons. So I wish these men, like I wish that people like this just didn't exist like straight up, like that's the neutral way that I can say it. But the things that we have in place to actually quote unquote punish them, it's like they go into those places and they just get more linked up with more heavily organized people that want to enact more racist violence on other people, and then they come out with more knowledge of how to do that, more connections on how to do it. They probably already had these types of connections, and they come out even worse than before. So I I have a hard time, like, really thinking about, like, what the solutions look like in these situations, like, other than um, I don't want them in a position where they can do this to other citizens, but What does like self-defense look like in this type of, um, situation, you know, because these are armed people that are empowered by the state to commit these acts of violence. What does it look like to really have a defense against that, you know, as black people, you know, because the justice system is only going to do so much. It's like, okay, they're removed from the community for a certain amount of time. Okay. And then what next? it's like whack-a-mole there's going to be another one and then those same ones are going to come out and probably do even worse
2: yeah i feel that i mean it's dirty shady ass cops and people all over um you know and this is in mississippi you know a historically very difficult place for black people to exist but also where some of the strongest black people exist because of the history Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, stories like this definitely fuel other people to do dumb shit. And this is Mississippi, you know, historically very racist-ass place, place where Black people have survived, you know, so much racial tension from from its existence. Um, you know, I'm trying to find a silver lining here by these people actually pleading guilty and, and being indicted. You know, let's make sure, let's hope that they get what's coming to them because it is only going to fuel just that alone. Them being prosecuted is going to fuel more hate and fuel more officers to do things like this. So, you know, it is it is hard to find solutions. It's very hard to find solutions for people who are victimized by by cops constantly and especially people who was minding their own fucking business, not even doing nothing, not even, you know, that's always the case.
1: A lot of these things like um, this white vigilante violence or this racist white violence against black people, you have leaders in that movement that had it been a black person, like in the black power movement, they would be one of those people that's like locked, put away for life or was murdered or had to leave the country forever. But on the other side you have these people that don't even go to jail if they do go to jail or if they go they're in and they're out and then they're out creating more havoc like that tells you right there that ultimately they are on the side of the people enacting this type of violence and there are people who are avowed like white supremacists in the police in police forces throughout this country It's run rampant. There's been so many leaks of text messages, phone calls, like racist audio of them outwardly saying, you know, all types of slurs and how they want to kill black people, amongst other things. Um, In New York, like there's a regular gathering of like anti-abortion harassers, like people that are harassing patients trying to get abortions. Those people get a police escort they don't get roughed up. The people that get roughed up are the people that are trying to, you know, be supportive to the the people that are going in for the procedure. So it's like, I don't know how much clearer it needs to be that these people are not for protection. They stand for destroying the environment, like you see with Cop City right now. They stand for this brutality and they make excuses and cover up for each other. They put down protests that are for the right thing like when you're protesting like George Floyd's murder and stuff you have people in uniform beating you up for doing that so I don't know what it's gonna take I don't know how much more we need to see of this but this fantasy of the police existing to protect you and their good upstanding it's a fantasy this isn't Mayberry you know, at the end of the day, if you're between them and like their ideal of like a white, you know, white people being at the top and status quo and money and all of that, like you're on their hit list as well. You know, that, that's all I'll say for today. But, you know, we need to get rid of this, san- this state sanctioned violence from these people that work for the state. That That's the only way because they're empowered to feel like they're untouchable and they can do what they want
2: absolutely prayers up for all those affected by this senseless violence every day
1: all right so you are listening to objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn and for our next musical break this is eric b and rakim with juice we'll be right back Sip the juice, I got enough to go around. And the thought takes place
0: uptown. I grew up on the sidewalk while on the street talking. they taught to the whole New York. I go
4: to Queens for Queens to get the food from broken. They phony in Manhattan and never been took it. Go uptown to
0: in the Bronx and boogie down, go strong on the island. Recoup and lay around. Time to build my juice back
4: up. Pop stack up. Suckers get smacked up, don't doubt the clout. You know what I'm about. Knocking niggas off, knocking niggas out, shaking them up, waking them up, Breaking 'em them up, Breaking 'em them up. And on shaky ground, too close to the edge Let's see if I know the ledge Corner's trifling, cause shorty's here I get cocked, even if 40's to bear Here's a sip with a crude, that's deceased If I get revenge, then they rest in peace Somebody got a stuff, I just might spare one And give a brother a fair one Stay alert and on fees And I do work with these, like Hercules the south for your right door, Cause I don't like the hyper nightfall. Nice, Smooth, but I move like an army. pull group down, face brothers try to bomb me. but the rest like Elliot Ness. Cause I don't like stress. Streets ain't a place for innocent bystanders to stand. Nothing's gonna stop the plan. I'll chill like the kill like the Niro, Black and ambino, die like a hero. Living on shaky ground, too close too to the edge. Let's see if I know the ledge. Shells lay around on the battleground Dead bodies are found throughout the town Try to put shame in my game to make a name I'ma put it on a bullet, put it in your brain Rip the block like a buckshot Who cares where it goes, just keep the castle closed No remorse when the life is lost
0: I paid my dues, I paid the cause And my pockets are still fat Wherever I'm at, I get the wealth of mass. Even if my crew is with
4: one deep, High track, attention, people like feet. So come say hi to the bad guy Don't say goodbye, I don't plan to die Cause I get loose if you'd like life, it's
1: to listen to, to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our world news story, uh, this is a relatively short article from the Associated Press. It was written on August the 9th. Uh, There is no author listed. And the title of the article is Mexico President asks Why, If a Woman Criticizes Him, He Isn't Considered Victim of Gender Violence. Mexico's president posed a question Wednesday that nobody was really asking. Why, if a woman criticizes him, he isn't considered a victim of gender violence? Mexico has strict political regulations that forbid questioning someone's competence based on their gender. President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador fell afoul of those rules when he suggested last month that opposition presidential hopeful Xochitl Galvez was a puppet manipulated by powerful men. An electoral court decided on August 2nd that that fit the the definition of gender violence and ordered Lopez Obrador to stop it. But Lopez Obrador, and surprisingly his feminist wife, Question the fairness of that, saying Galvez has criticized the president, but he hasn't been considered a victim of gender violence. Everything that they say to me isn't that gender violence, Lopez Obrador said at his morning media briefing, or is gender only about women? That ignored a couple of facts. Galvez has never suggested Lopez Obrador is wrong because he is a man or that he is manipulated by women. It also ignores the overwhelming evidence over millennia that saying someone isn't capable of something because of their gender is a tactic that has been used almost exclusively against women. Lopez Obrador claims, perhaps rightly, that he never said specifically that Galvez had had been promoted and manipulated by powerful men. He did call her a puppet who had been imposed by a group of men whose names he mentioned. It would all seem like a strange thing to fight about. The president speaks off the cuff for about two hours per day at his media briefings and has occasionally made some seemingly unsupported statements. But then, as has become usual, his supporters doubled down in their defense of the president. His wife, Beatrice Gutierrez Mueller, herself an academic specializing in literature and other themes, who has asked not to be referred to as First Lady, came out on her Facebook page to ask whether the president might be right. Gender-based political violence is only punished when it is men against women. When, is it, when it is men against men or women against men, can't you consider it gender-based political violence? This is a serious question, she wrote. Political analyst Denise Dresser wrote in a tweet, he has no idea what gender violence is. Uh, And this is just a brief um, excerpt from an article from thewilsoncenter.org. The article is called Beyond Collateral Damage, Femicides, Disappearances, and New Trends in Gender-Based Violence in Mexico, written by Gemma Klopp Santamaria and Julia Zolver on June 27th. Uh, This is a brief excerpt that says, statistics on gender-based violence in Mexico are disconcerting. Around 10 women are murdered every day in the country. In 2022 alone, a total of 3,754 women and girls were murdered, according to data from the Executive Secretariat of the National Public Security System. Of this total number of cases, only 947 were investigated as femicides, defined as the intentional killing of a woman because of her gender. In fact, some civil society organizations suggest that state authorities may sometimes classify femicides as homicides to artificially lower femicide statistics. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to bring in some of that information at the tail end just to highlight that, you know, gender-based violence is not a joke it's not something to talk about flippantly. And for him to say it in this context, I think is frankly embarrassing, considering that femicide is a problem, not only in Mexico, but worldwide, and it's a growing problem. Uh, So yeah, not, not a fan of him seeming to make light of gender violence and discrimination against women and other marginalized genders.
2: Absolutely. Um, And I don't think that, first of all, a person in his position should be taking things like this light. um, Because the reality is the only reason gender violence exists is not because of women. (laughs) It's not because of women or anything like that, that this even exists. It came from somewhere and it wasn't us. Um, And so the reality is that you know, he would never really understand the, the layer or level of complexity if he considers himself being a victim. Um, and I'm not saying he can't be a victim of some things, I'm not saying that. But in the same context, gender violence and bias and all of those things exist because there was a need to fight back in patriarchy. There is a need to protect people who are of a certain gender. Um, And so that, you know, just that alone shows that he's obviously very frivolous um, with what he's saying and how he's leading. And I'm just making that assumption as far as how he's leading, because for him to um, do something like that or even say something like that, go on record as really believing that shows that he really doesn't understand it at all.
1: Yeah, and I I also feel that um, that statement and the fact that his wife reiterated it and he has supporters saying the same thing we're seeing this happening in the United States and and countries around the world where people who belong to groups that historically have always had the upper hand claiming victim status just to undermine the progress that other marginalized groups have made like you see people making claims like oh like as if there's some type of attack on being heterosexual or that there's like an attack on being a cisgender person. There's an attack on being white when none of that is the case. They're just showing their disdain and the fact that they're angry that uh, women, um, queer people, people who are trans, black people, indigenous people, people who are non-white, That, you know, people who are members of those groups have more of a voice, more of a platform. They have the means to speak up and out against their oppression. And people are on the other side are treating that like that means they're somehow losing something, you know. And it shows you how much of their identity is about um, just taking for granted that they're in the default authority position and anything that reminds them that they are not they want to, you know, throw a hissy fit about it. You know, but it has very real devastating like consequences when you empower that type of entitlement and that type of thinking.
2: And the way that, you know, they are trying to eliminate and eradicate any sort of education and knowledge around these issues around um anything that has to do with diversity And inclusion and equity they are making real strides to eliminate discussion and political thought on this this is just another drop in the bucket when it comes to something like that um because it's just it's just showcasing it's it's trying not to prove the validity of our claims and why it's important for us to have this information available and this dialogue to talk about our experiences so um yeah he needs to have several seats sir have several
1: seats. Yeah, like, please. And he's a, he's an older man. He's a boomer. So he's 69. Like, he's definitely of, you know, a past generation where, yeah, maybe you could get away with saying X, Y, and Z about a female opponent and that would fly. But it's a new day. You know, people are in a position to speak up about it and to say, not today, not anymore, not on my watch. So he's going to have to learn how to deal with it and take this flippant what about what about the men take it somewhere else because nobody's trying to hear that mess you know when people are out here getting beat up dying being murdered tortured because of their identity that none of that is happening to anyone simply because like they're a straight married like light-skinned man like please get out of here with that
2: so let's move on to some good stuff right Yes, please. Yes. So as we are celebrating um the birthday of hip hop, I feel very honored um to be alive to have this celebration, you know, and when we first started talking about the birth of hip hop and the the birthday of hip hop as this year began, I knew it was going to be just monumental and powerful. Um you know, I I'm a big fan of hip hop. I grew up in hip hop. I believe I am a piece of hip hop because I love it so much. And um, I just feel like it is definitely made massive strides for people of color, um, for the human condition, and just for stories to be told, explained, um, and expelled, if you will, about the lives of people who um, have experienced this. So I have a, before I even go into it, do you want to give some sentiments, Jasmine, about your relationship with hip hop?
1: Uh, sure. Um, so I kind of, I grew up in a household that was um, a bit on the religious side, like in kind of an extreme way. So that, let, let's put it this way, I wasn't allowed to or supposed to, but I did still listen to rap um, as a kid growing up. And being that both of my parents are Brooklyn Natives and they're of, I would say they're like the hip hop generation, especially my mother. I do feel like I have a connection to it in that, you know, they were born and raised like in a place where this art form was born. And it's not a lot of people don't know that hip hop is not just about rap music. Like there's other elements like graffiti, breakdancing, DJing, rapping, there's fashion, you know, like it's a whole culture that you know black people made from very little like black and latino people made from very little um in new york city back in the day so i'm happy to see that it's still around i'm happy to see that there's a diversity of different types of hip-hop that's thriving so yeah it's it's great to see that it's being celebrated
2: all right, so this list comes from a website um, called top10s.net. And it's just 10 things to know about hip-hop. I'm gonna just give a little context to each one of them, just a sentence or so. But it's pretty cool um, to take a look at something like this and just really see the history of this art form. So number one on the list is that the New York Blackout of 1977 catalyzed the entire scene. The New York City Blackout of 1977 19- Seventy-seven, almost twenty-four hours of no power throughout all five boroughs, could not have happened at a worse time. The economy was crap. The son of Sam was on the loose, and the city was in the grip of a brutal heat wave. Um, and so that's kind of what was happening. Um, as a result, there was unrest breaking out, looting, arson. Sixteen hundred stores were looted, and an entire city block was burned down. And then DJ Disco Wiz, who's a contemporary of Grandmaster Cass, um, said it was the blackout that really helped. The, the five boroughs start to develop a block party and that's kind of where some of this stuff began okay um, i'm gonna move on to number two maybe we'll do f- do five and you guys can find the rest the first single to feature rap was by a rock band so
1: i bet i know who it is
2: go ahead go isn't for it
1: isn't it rapture by blondie
2: so it says the early recordings were huge regional hits some made by cameo appearance by various uh, billboard charts elements of rap music did make cameo appearances on the pop chart prior to that however notably rapture in january 1981 single by new york rock band blondie was the first one recorded. You know, there's so many other people that may not have had the widespread recording recognition that say that 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 might not have been it, but that's debatable. But I'm glad you knew it.
1: There was an interview where um, it was Grandmaster Flash who said in the interview in the interview he was like, he would give Debbie Harry an E for effort because that little rap she does at the end. I'm sorry, I cut the song off before she starts rapping. Like she tried, but <laughs> I like the rest of the song.
2: Yeah, right. I love that though. That just shows you how organic it was, you know? So I love that, um, that we can debate these topics.
1: You see the breakdancer in the video and everything. So, you know, it's of its time. It's a time capsule. So, you know, it has a place in the history.
2: Exactly. Exactly. That's what's up. All right, number three. Rap records use live bands and not sampling for years. Before samplers were affordable or even existed, the first rap label, Sugar Heel, Employed a crack house band to faithfully recreate the popular break beats that the MCs wanted to use for their records. The trio consisted of bassist Doug Wimbush, uh, guitarist Skip McDonald, and legendary drummer Keith LeBlanc, and they masterfully interpolated the breaks into great many of rap's earliest recordings. So I miss sampling Window. I miss Sampling. Sampling was great. I made some records with some samples that I would totally be sued for if they were ever here. Oh,
1: it's Sampling <laughs> is alive and well, but now it's like we're getting people sampling the samples. Exactly, you know? right? It's like, wait a minute, that's not the
2: first one, first time that's been right. used. Yeah, definitely. I miss that, though. I miss sampling, and I love now that I'm older. I'm more into the older music, so every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, snap, that's where that came from. Um, So, yeah, I love, I love samples, and I love just, like, going back to the original record and getting the vibe that the artist was doing on that one. You know, that was stuff. That's the way I used to record. I used to let me hear the original and then that would help me get motivated for the record I was trying to make. So pretty cool. All right. Number four, Rapper's Delight was not the first rap recording. While Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang is undoubtedly pioneering and a rap classic is not actually the first rap record, despite popular belief. That distinction belongs to King Tim Third by funk group The Fat Back Band, featuring an MC by the name of Tim Washington. The record only beat Sugar Hills to the store shelves by a month or so, but was nowhere nearly as successful as the three guys from Jersey whom nobody had never heard of. So I've never heard that joint. But, uh, you know, it was timing, I guess. All right. And number five. DJs used to be the stars and not the rappers, and dancers were secondary. And that goes to what you were saying earlier, like hip-hop is so dynamic. It's not just one thing, you know? Um, the commentary behind this one, the Mentic, Herc Flash and their DJ contemporaries were the early stars of hip-hop before MCs even began to rap or do anything more than praise the DJ and keep the crowd dancing. The East MC didn't move towards center stage until the late 70s when crews like Flash, Flash's Furious Five MCs, and Theodore's Fantastic Five began putting together elaborate rhyming routines. Solo MCs like Curtis Blow and Busy B also started to find some success around the time with outside showmanship and and hook-laden lyrics because nobody ever accused rappers of being low-key and humble. (laughs) So yeah, shout out to the to the MCs who definitely made the party lit. I love DJs to this day. You know, DJ can make a break your night, your week. Come on, who used to record the the, the Friday night mix on the radio?
1: I used to record stuff <laughs> on a cassette tape, like from the radio so yeah and like i don't know how many people know why they picked uh, august 11th 1973 as the birthday of hip-hop do you know
2: yeah actually
1: so this is from uh the gothamist had us um a feature about different places to visit in the city to celebrate the birthplace of hip-hop and one of the places is 1520 sedgwick avenue in the bronx Uh, That's widely considered the birthplace of hip-hop because on August 11th, 1973, 50 years ago, as of two days ago, Cindy Campbell and her brother DJ Cool Herc threw a a back-to-school party in the rec room of this multi-story apartment building. Herc figured out how to find the most danceable parts of songs and extend them by playing the same record on two turntables and repeating the sample. Over 300 people showed up to the party and the building soon became known as where hip hop was born. So there you got a DJ, you know, people dancing community coming together, um, many different elements colliding, like to create a new art form.
2: I love that. I love that. So shout out to hip hop, yo. And all the people who have contributed to this, this historical art form, Um, that to this day is the number one music um, genre in the world. And yeah, and all the variations, all the different people. If you get an opportunity to celebrate hip hop, you know, they they have the tendency. I don't know if any other performers out there are aware of um, Black August. It's a time where a lot of black artists perform and there's always like music festivals and things of that nature. I like to believe that it has something to do with hip hop. I don't know that for certain. But definitely take some time and and, and love on hip hop a little bit. Listen to your favorite records, hit up a festival, go to a concert, support some local hip hop because it still does happen. You know, kick a freestyle, if you will. But shout out to hip hop. I love you. We love you. The show loves you. And I hope everybody is really enjoying this time in history. It's really special to be a part of it.
1: So you have been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, Stay tuned for more community-based Brooklyn radio. And for our last song, this is from the musical act who was the first to ever win a Grammy for best rap performance back in 1989 for Parents Just Don't Understand. And as we just explained, it's not about just the rapper. It's also about the DJ. Uh, So they won for that song off of their um, album called He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper. Uh, so for our last track, it's the it's thematic for the season. Uh, this is DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, who are still out here, still doing it, still making music, still yeah. essential to the culture. Here is summertime. Have a good rest of your week. Have fun, y'all. Bye bye. Bye,
3: y'all.
5: Pop in my CD and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back cause this is summertime. It's like the summer's a natural aphrodisiac, and with a penny pad, I compose this rhyme to hip you and to get you equipped for the summertime.